0: Welcome to today's episode of She Breathes Soul Stories. I'm your co host, Rachel Barillari. And I'm Jen Goldbrand. I'm
1: so excited to be here today with a very special guest, Beth Knaus of That's a Spade Copywriting Services. Now, Beth was not only an author in our first anthology, but she was actually the book editor who worked alongside 22 of our other authors to bring their stories to life onto the pages. Beth's story is titled, The Weight of Choice. It's a deeply moving account of her relationship with her mother. Welcome, Beth.
2: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: We're excited to hear your excerpt.
2: Okay. It was Thanksgiving, 1994. My ex-husband and I were heading to New York to see our families, anxious to announce that I was pregnant. I asked my mother-in-law to invite my mother for dinner because I knew she didn't have anywhere to go. When my mother arrived, my ex and I pulled her aside to tell her privately that I was pregnant. With a blank stare, she said, congratulations, then turned and walked away. For the rest of the night, everyone else fawned over us, asking all the typical questions. Due date, name choices, boy or girl, how I was feeling, etc. My own mother said nothing. I could see the other guests stealing glances at each other and at my mother. She contributed nothing but awkward silence. It was embarrassing, infuriating, baffling, and mostly disappointing. We went home to Boston. Six weeks passed, and my mother did not call me one time, her only child pregnant with her first grandchild. I wrote a letter telling her how upset I was, that I would not have my kids grow up with this type of toxic abuse that she would not hurt them the way she had hurt me, that she had abused me, my dad, and other people around her emotionally and physically because of her alcoholism. I told her if she got sober, I'd be willing to work on our relationship and have her be a part of our family. I was 28, we never spoke again. I learned at a young age that after drink number two, my mother was delightful, witty, and pseudo charming. For instance, she might ask me to sit nice and close to her on the neighbor's patio so she could put her arm around me and call me Hun. But that third drink pushed her into the angry zone. The truth is, my mother was dutiful. I was well-dressed, well-fed, and well-mannered. But I did not know her. I don't know what her childhood was like or what her dreams were. I do not know how she and my father met. We did not go out to lunch or do special mother-and-daughter things. She did not paint my nails for me or show me how to put lipstick on. We did not play Barbies together or go to the playground. And she certainly did not teach me anything about my body and becoming a woman. It was my father who took me for my first bra fitting while the women there looked at him suspiciously. He went to buy my lady supplies and later would pick up my birth control prescription. My mother addressed her responsibilities as a mother and nothing more, without an ounce of warmth, connection, or nurturing. When my mother died in 2009, she still had the letter I sent and alcohol in her refrigerator. I was surprised by my disappointment and realized somewhere in my protective walls I had always carried that little hope that she would change. But her choice was not mine to make, not going to lie. I was relieved that it was over. Every day from the time I sent that letter, I had checked in with myself to see if I still felt right in my choice. Every day, that answer was yes.
1: Beth, that was beautifully written and executed. Thank you so much. Thanks. How did... I'm curious how sharing that story because it was it it's full of surprises, right, to, to to the reader. How did it help you reclaim your power over your narrative, over those experiences that you had as a child? To write it and then to like state it out loud for the world to to hear.
2: Yeah, so for me personally, it was really empowering and relieving in a sense. I've been carrying that story for the longest time and, you know, would let bits and pieces out, you know, in a very protective way when I spoke to people that I had trust in. But you could almost see people, like, coil back right. when, like, because how many people know somebody who cuts off their mother? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you or, don't or, know many people. Or who's honest about the relationship right. with their mother. exactly. Because,
1: my guess is that, that many people have experienced similar kinds of interactions yeah. with someone who is supposed to be their caretaker.
2: Well, and rather than be open and honest and vocal about it, they threw themselves under the bus, right? right. And they affected their lives and limited themselves right? for, you know, they sacrificed themselves. That's what I wanted to say, so that they could protect right. the mother. But y- you don't see that with fathers, <laughs> really
0: exactly Mm, yeah that's so true the difference i guess and and maybe that that shame around Mm. that not i you know picturesque mother-daughter relationship or bond i loved the imagery in the story me too of you know painting nails playing barbies like those things that you know i feel like you do picture Mm. and um you know, and 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 being honest about it not being there. No. I know a lot of people that res- would say tell a very similar story.
1: Absolutely. Mm. And I mean, you're clearly such a skilled writer. It just, I mean, you, you know, it, it's just the story is very moving. I have no other words. <laughs> it's just very moving. And knowing you as a person, and and learning that about you after all these years of knowing someone, that's what's so magical about this process. I think. You know, is that we we know people at a certain level, but when you allow yourselves to go deeper and to share those vulnerable parts and learn those things about one another, I think you just connect in a very, just a deeper way, a mm. more, I don't know. Um, and I think you connect empathic, to yeah. empath- empathetic. Excuse me, is the word I'm looking for. You just you just understand Definitely. that person so much more deeply.
2: Yes. And you can have so much more patience for someone, right? right? For their behaviors that maybe otherwise you'd be like, "Ugh, I can't tolerate that." But right. You know, you think about this person has been through X, Y, and Z. It's amazing they're at this point, let alone
0: mm-hmm. right. You know. And it's a j- real reframing. Absolutely. And I think that that's where empathy too starts to transition to compassion with you know, understanding the story, seeing where they're coming from. And then even the act of inviting someone to tell more of their story, that's like that aligned action of yeah. really getting into the hole with someone yeah. and just being there. And that's a very compassionate Holding thing. Holding that do. space without yeah. judgment or whatever. Yeah, it's really mm.
1: it's it's a beautiful thing.
0: How yeah. I would love to know like in the process of writing this story and then telling it, do you feel like you've deepened your own sense of compassion? Like for yourself? Mm. Or what Concession. has that been Oh, sure. Like.
2: Yeah. yeah. Somebody just asked me that the other day. And we were talking about the whole inner child concept. And it was like, yeah, like, I'm aware of that existence. And I just look back and just feel so sad that that was the experience that I had as a little girl that my little girl had. But, you know, I have two daughters. And that was so healing for me to be the mother in this situation and know what I wanted as a as a child mm.
1: so and the other thing that you know we because we're not sharing the whole story because we want you all to read it but just the relationship that came out of that tragedy the relationship that came between you and your father that developed yeah. and what the role he played for you I mean I have goosebumps because I I know how important he he was to you and that relationship and what a beautiful sort of you know, that yin and yang of – you t- You have this experience that's so difficult, and then you, you – but it brings mm-hmm. you other gifts, yeah. right?
2: I had other things that I wouldn't have looked for yeah. if I had had this perfect relationship with my mother or what right. appears – what right. people think is a perfect relationship right. with a mother. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I'd love to circle back to what you were saying about being a mother yourself mm-hmm. and how healing that is. So I was – is there anything specific you can think of that you do as a mother – as a result of reflecting on your own childhood that now you do differently with your girls so
2: yeah i just try to be as supportive as possible i try to be non-judgmental and just ask questions and learn from them i mean they're it's not that they know more it's that they know different things right and to just have a respect for them being their own individuals and not having their presence be for my sake Right. I feel like when you go back a generation or two, your kids showed as a mother the quality of person that you were, because that's what we did. Right. We didn't go to work. We were mothers. Mm. And so people wanted their kids to, like I said, about my mother being dutiful. I looked great. I was well-mannered, well-fed. You know, she checked the boxes. On
1: the outside, it all looked like a normal... Situation.
2: Right. And so then if you went and told somebody about what was really going on, like they'd be very confused. Right. You know,
0: they'd be like, oh, but your mother takes care of you.
2: Right. The perception mm-hmm. versus reality.
0: Which is interesting, just to given our culture being such a one of visuals yes. and aesthetics and how you're presenting the self and all of that and that right. not being mm-hmm. the real story. So
1: I'm also a little curious just because, um, I mean, I know how supportive your family is of you and of this journey, but I'd love to know how your kids responded to you after reading your story
2: and maybe better understanding you as well. So that was probably the trickiest part for me because, you know, when they were younger, they obviously knew that my mother wasn't in the picture. They knew she was alive. And that's a really hard thing to navigate, right? Sure. Because they can't understand the complexities of it. But at the same time, I think there was always this underlying, this is a big deal. Like, why isn't she talking to her mother, right? Their friends had mothers around and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, this was a big deal. I've never gone that far into detail with them. Right. I mean, I always try to say, oh, you know, she was an alcoholic and she wasn't well. And, you know, she didn't know how to do the right things. And. You You
1: didn't get into the the nitty-gritty of what you
2: experienced as a human being,
1: as that daughter. Right. And I bet that was really, um, you know, a lot for them to take in.
2: Yeah, I think it was. But at the same time, like we were just talking about, it allows them to be patient and empathetic with me. Right. They got to know you on a whole different level. And instead of being like, I don't want to tick her off because she'll cut me off and not talk (laughs) to me,
0: now they know, you know. Of course. Yeah, that's really, that's so important, I think. Yeah, because I guess it's like, it's funny. So I think of where I am in life right now being thir- I'm 31 and
1: I just want to stop and say yeah. that that Rachel and I have a 30-year-old a 30-year gap here which <laughs> we just realized yesterday and you know because I feel 12 inside we don't but think We both about- do so it's great <laughs> we get along yeah. fabulously. <laughs> yes, but we're just let's just say we're tapping into all the generational
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um so this is this is something I've been thinking about a lot. So I'm at an age where um a lot of people around me and a lot of my friends are really starting to look at their parents very differently and in this beautifully compassionate light of like, oh, and especially a lot of people in my generation, you know, really into therapy and doing the inner child work. And it's awesome to hear people be like, oh, my gosh, you know, my parents did the best with what they had. Oh, I'm starting to understand this better now, etc. And I'm wondering, as parents, you know, when does that line for of like, you know, pr- protecting the the kids and, like, trying to keep them away from, like, those deep complexities versus, like, opening up and sharing more. I'm just super curious what that's like as a parent. I'm not a parent. Yeah. Um But I know a lot of people my age are like, I just wish my parents told me more. Absolutely. But I know there's probably reasons why you, you they didn't. Well, so. so my daughter would probably tell
1: you, I wish my mom hadn't told me so much because <laughs> <laughs> I was that kind of a mother. Because okay. Because this is so interesting that you bring this up, and it's really mm-hmm. very related, I think, is... Um, Natalia, my daughter, and I had this conversation recently that we so we have parents and we, you know, feel traumatized from, you know, again, they all do the best they can. And then we become parents and we want to do everything that our parents didn't. Right. We want to do the exact. Well, that's not necessarily true, but we're we're very conscious of what we want to do differently. Maybe I'll put it that way. And so, you know, I'm all about, you know. My daughter and being very open and talking to her about her sexuality and all of the things, right, and, and her adoption and what that was like and, and how it, we experienced it and how, you know, all, very open, right, mm-hmm. to a point. And, and, and you can do anything you want to do and be anything you want to be. And it was so interesting because I was parenting in the way that I felt I hadn't been parented. And to my daughter, that felt like pressure, like, I mean, just, it's just so interesting how wow. generationally we think we're doing the right thing by doing everything differently. And then to them, mm-hmm. it's just going to be how the person, that individual is going to perceive it and, and how it works in their with their soul and their spirit, it's not, it's like there's no right or wrong way to do this. And this yeah. is the realization of what we were having in this discussion is in my effort to make her feel so seen and heard and valued and supported, she was like, whoa, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, subconsciously. Sure. You know, yeah. but now at 22, we can have these conversations. So I don't know if I really answered your question except no, to say, <laughs> I believe what I'm understanding is that. I don't think there's any right way to do this, and yep. I think that it's all part of the journey of being human, and mm-hmm. and it's like a big science experiment, you know,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, and I, I think, too, and you'll agree, I know, Jen, that parenting is so much more about trusting your gut and your intuition and your instinct. You carried that kid for nine months or, you know, raised them from the time they were born, and you... You just know, you know, you get them and you see them growing and and changing and forming and you're following their personality and shaping things around that. Like, you know what's best. Not another mom that you met at preschool or an aunt who shows up once a year for Christmas. With all their little insights. That's right. (laughs) Because you can't possibly know what to do.
1: Right. Yeah. One of the things that, that I came to realize recently is that we all enter these relationships as like wounded little souls, right? So, so it and and as we go through life and we if we don't necessarily address and resolve our wounds, so they're sort of unresolved trauma. As a mom, a, a dad, or a mom and a mom, however the family's formed, and then you bring in a child, and now you know you're still kind of working through your own stuff, and and you unintentionally. Pass wounds down to your children. And so this is what we're starting to learn and understand now through all of, you know, the work that we're all doing is that we don't want to be doing that. We want to break those patterns. Mm -hmm. Like I've literally had those discussions with my daughter. This isn't yours. This this wasn't even mine. It was passed down to me and through me to you. And now you break it. So it's very interesting how just the whole dynamic of um, our own experiences, how we how we process those and then use those to parents differently, I think mm-hmm. is. And maybe it takes us a while to figure out what we're doing
2: right or wrong. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like I used to say all the time, like, I'm not perfect, you know, I'm flawed. Like, oh, yeah. you know, a couple things that situations that happened with my oldest, I'm like, listen. I haven't done this before in case you haven't noticed. (laughs) I don't really have any great role models, you know? So like, I'm doing the best I can. So let's do a do-over for this particular situation or whatever. And, you know, just. They need to see that we're human.
1: Kids need to see that parents are human.
0: Yeah, and that's what I think is super important. And I think as an adult child now, like my relationship with my my parents, I have a mom, dad, and a stepdad. My parents were divorced when I was a young kid. I think something that's been really helpful is... My parents are very open to my questions. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that has been just really helpful, that's I think. Important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially too, I've been really impressed with my dad in particular. You know, I feel like watching him evolve from being like such a, I don't know, I would say a guarded man mm-hmm. to being very emotionally available in my adulthood, like that's a choice I feel like yeah. he's made. And that's been so helpful to me. To be able, when I'm, like, unpacking all my shit, to be like, right. Dad, remember when you said, you know, and he'll be like, I literally don't. But, like, let's talk about what yeah. you're feeling from mm-hmm. that. Well, just because we're yeah. grown up doesn't
1: mean we're <laughs> grown up. Like, right. we're always continuing mm-hmm. to learn and grow and right. evolve. And it's, yeah. thank goodness.
2: And no matter how old you get, your parents are always your parents.
1: Yes. Right. Right. I know. Oh, it's such an interesting subject matter. It really is. I, I'm just, I really am so grateful that you had the courage to write that story it really did it touched me in so many ways and and i'm i know it touched people who read it have you received any sort of feedback from people that were
2: like wow this really resonated with me you know people who have read the story yeah a few people and i had people come to me and say wow i never realized that somebody could not have this relationship with their mother you know i don't know anybody who doesn't talk to their mother right yeah Yeah. so interesting
0: Yeah, but and I think too, I think like what we're to bring it all the way back to the beginning of this conversation. I think it's probably more common than we know. I know. And so by being courageous right. to share is super. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I shared this story with a few people in particular that I knew would be important for them to hear because so they, they kind of felt like. On islands. Well, I was just right. going to
1: say because then they, yeah. it's like anything, right? Then they feel less alone. Like, wow, that yeah. didn't just happen yeah. to me.
0: Because you just don't know who
2: you can talk to about it. This yeah. is a really tricky it's topic. So Definitely. tricky.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh, really brilliant. Yeah. Um, I, I love wanna, this conversation. I like know, the family system. I know. And I know. So it's, it's so, so fascinating. interesting for mm-hmm. sure. And we know that there's so many more women out there with so many more stories to tell. And so we're here to facilitate that. Oh,
2: yeah. This was just really a tiny, tiny bit. We just scratched bit. the surface. Yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. Of what's out there for stories. Yeah. yeah, for sure.
1: Well, we are just grateful to you and for, for your role in the, in the project, for um, your beautiful, beautiful story,
2: and for being here today.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks.
2: Thanks. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be involved in all of it. Thanks, Beth.
0: The stories in the She Breathes Soul Stories from Triumph to Transformation anthology are real, raw, and powerful. If you'd like to hear more and hear the complete versions of the excerpts sampled in this episode, head over to Amazon where you can order your copy today.
1: And do you have a story to tell? Give us a call at the We Breathe Wellness Center at 508-343-7211 or send us an email at jen at jengulbrand.com. That's j-e-n-n at j-e-n-n-g-u-l-b-r-a-n-d dot
0: com. We can't wait to hear from you. Our next storyteller is Dr. Kathy Ripley-Green, spiritual medium extraordinaire. Kathy's story is called The Day I Could Have Died But Didn't and takes us on a journey with what could have been a fatal motorcycle accident and her road to recovery. Kathy, welcome.
3: Thanks for having me. Hello, Dr. Hello,
0: Green. Hello, Jennifer <laughs> and Rachel.
3: How are we all?
0: Oh, very, very well. How are you?
3: I'm great. Good. Are right. ready for me to read my story? Please. 100%. Right. The last thing I remember seeing is the rear wheel of a really big truck as it got closer and closer. I don't remember much after that until I heard the screaming. It was loud and shrill, and I wanted it to stop. Then I realized I was the one screaming. It was Saturday, October twenty-second, two 2017, the day I could have died, but I didn't. I was lying on my back in the emergency room at the Rhode Island Hospital in Providence with no awareness of what had happened, how I ended up in the ER, or why I was screaming. My husband Craig was by my side, and he explained that I had been in a serious motorcycle accident. I was attended to by multiple doctors and nursing staff. As it turns out, I needed to have a chest tube placed to help inflate a portion of my lung that had collapsed, thus the screaming. If you haven't had an emergency chest tube procedure while wide awake, I promise you it's not something you want to experience. We had been enjoying a beautiful afternoon motorcycle ride and we were returning to the bike shop to buy the bike I was actually test riding. I was happy, excited, and feeling good. We were at a red light in the far left lane, two-lane left turn. A semi-tractor trailer pulled up next to me, also turning left. Craig was riding in front of me, and we were communicating through our comm system. I remember telling him that a big truck just pulled up next to me. Just look up the road where you're headed, he reminded me. As an experienced rider, he was supporting the development of good riding habits in me, a newer motorcyclist. The light turned green. I pulled in the clutch, first gear, feet off the ground, let off the brakes, gave it some throttle, and onward I went. What I failed to do was turn my head and look where I was going. Instead, I fixated on the truck and drove the bike straight into the rear wheels and the side of the semi. At the time, I had no awareness of what was happening. My husband told me later that he realized I was not negotiating the turn, and he began screaming my name, Kathy, Kathy, Kathy. I didn't hear a thing. It was as if I was not in my body, like I was somewhere else, and my mind had disconnected from all things physical and mental until right before I hit. That's when I saw the wheel in front of me, and I said out loud, calmly and peacefully, Oh, God. Just then, there was a beautiful soft light. I felt peaceful, suspended. Then I felt nothing. Craig saw the accident in its entirety. I imagine in a way that his psychological injury is greater than the totality of my physical injuries. Speaking of those, here's my list. 26 fractures that included 14 ribs fractured in multiple places. Six transverse processes of the spine fractured, one clavicle, the right shoulder in two spots, one finger, and two bones in the foot. A punctured right lung, multiple tendon tears, a concussion, skin abrasions, muscle strains, and one complete and total mind-blown. I was sad that this accident happened. Sad that I caused it. Sad that my husband had to experience the unimaginable pain of thinking I was dead at the scene and that he somehow was responsible for it. Sad for what my family experienced. Sad that I upset and worried my friends far and near. Sad that I had to stop working as a psychic medium, letting down all those who were counting on me for support during their time of grief. Sad that I stopped being me and had stopped my normal life. Sad that I had ruined my physical body, aging as it was, and that it will never be the same again. Sad that I had to be taken care of. Sad that I had to be hospitalized. Sad that I felt pain, weakness, and the inability to perform normal activities of daily living and personal care. Sad that I needed to rely on Craig and my family and friends to do even the most basic of things. Deep painful, scary sadness. I cried, sobbed multiple times a day for months. It was a most intense, remarkable experience. What was also intense and remarkable was that I surrendered to the experience totally. At the time of this writing, almost six years have passed since that faithful day. The experience and all that surrounded it has woven itself into the fabric of my life as all experiences do, and I have learned so much.
1: Kathy, <laughs> as someone who knows and loves you and was there when this happened, that's still so hard for me to hear. Yeah. And I've read the story numerous times. Right. But when you, when you speak it, it's like we're, I'm reliving it all over yeah. again for you and with you.
3: Jennifer, it's so interesting because um, knowing that we were going to have this discussion today, I was thinking about it earlier today. And recently I went through, I had this huge box of cards and letters and notes that people had sent me. And um, I went through the box and I, I wanted to let go of anything I could possibly let go of that was still having some attachment to the energy of this experience. And I actually took the cards and letters out a couple of months ago, but I I couldn't do anything with them. And then just last week, I went through every card and I took in the love because when I had the accident, I don't even think that I really understood the cards and the letters. I was in a different frame of mind. I went through each and every one of them, and I literally, like, held them and took the love in. Some cards I got from people, I don't even know who they were, you know. And then I had a big fire, and I put them in the fire, and I burned them, and I released it. And so then, knowing that I was coming here today, there's always a little energy marker on it when you read it again or talk about it or whatnot. Um, So as I was just reading that, too, I was like, wow, this is like a big deal, a really, really big deal. A really, really big deal. Yeah, yeah. But But here you are. But here I am. Here I am.
0: (laughs) And you say at the end of the story, you list so many things that you learned. What pops into your mind today is one of those biggest takeaways that you learned?
3: One of the biggest takeaways is how much I am loved. Mm. Because I know I'm loved. I feel that I'm loved, but when it's demonstrated in in the ways that it was. So, for example, my friend Jennifer, um, after in the intensive care unit for five days and then the step-down unit, I don't even remember how many days there, but I had to go to rehab, like, for a week. Um, not that kind of rehab, but, you know, physical <laughs> rehab. I just heard Amy Winehouse in my mom singing. Um, and uh, when I arrived there, the evening that I got there, about 7 p.m., the staff was all a Twitter because there was a gift that had arrived from my dear friend Jennifer. Because they wouldn't let me in to visit you. <laughs> yeah. Well no, that, I wasn't even oh, that's, there. Oh, yet. That's Yeah, right. it was yeah. the first night. Okay. And it was the most huge I mean it was the, practically as big as this room. It was the most huge bouquet of um uh, what do we call that? Edible Those, arrangements. And yeah, the fruit. Yeah. The fruit oh and chocolate. My gosh. Okay. It was unbelievable. And so I was like in no no shape to like eat anything really. And I said to my husband, "Bring that down." To there was a strategy staff. to it. Yeah. <laughs> and the staff was like, "Oh!" And then they loved me because Jennifer sent me this beautiful gift. You know, I
1: wanted her to be very well taken care of. Yeah, <laughs> I was very well taken
3: care of. It was wonderful. Oh. So that's a, a a really big takeaway. And then the other big takeaway I would say is that um, you don't really realize how strong you are. Right. And and strong to go through it, to survive it, to rehab through it, months and months and months, and actually years, but also the strength to be vulnerable, mm. to accept the help and the that's support what, and the that's love.
1: That's what's so much more challenging for us than we even yeah. realize, I think.
3: Yeah.
0: And that remind like that brings me right to this part. I wanted to talk to you more about sure. when you said that. What was also intense and remarkable was that I surrendered to the experience totally. Can you expand on that a little bit? Uh, Yeah.
3: Um, When I got to rehab, so the first five days in intensive care, I basically was on some really big drugs, and I didn't know what was going on, you know, really. And then I was in the step-down unit, and that was a trip. And then when I got to rehab that night, I had already... Um, kind of navigated my way through the step-down unit in the hospital. So now all of a sudden I'm realizing, oh, my God, I'm in a whole new place. I don't know the people here. What's going on? What do I do? Oh, I have a roommate now. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And so I remembered that night I just – my husband went home. He was exhausted. And I laid there, and I literally out loud and in my mind, you know, I spoke, you know, the words – I surrender. I turn myself over to you. I let I let you protect me. I asked for my father who was in spirit. I asked for the God of my understanding, for people that I know who are deceased. I asked for angelic help. I asked for archangel support. I asked for spirit guide, like any and all. And I really surrendered. I was crying, and I had never felt the way I felt. I was like laying myself down, yeah. you know. And um, it was really great because even just then after that, at about 9.30, my new roommate came in. We ended up being really good friends. She was, like, in her 80s. Like, Betty, actually, she's passed away now. She had gotten sick after that. But, um, oh, my God, like, all these incredible synchronicities were happening. But the surrender, so I could just say, I am not in control. I can't be in control. Help me. Mm-hmm. Help me to be vulnerable. And it was big. It was yeah. big. Yeah, really big. Kathy, do you feel
1: – I mean, because of the work that you do, obviously, you're so already connected to to spirit. And um, do you feel that that, that that helped you to get yourself to that place of trust and surrender and, and
3: faith? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Jennifer, because one of the things that happened when I was in the hospital still – I was lying in bed, and I was always sort of in and out of sleep and rest and all that. And my eyes were closed, but I was wide w- Well, not wide awake, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I was pretty much awake. <laughs> you were right. conscious. I was conscious, and I was lying there. And I could see, like, all of these faces sort of coming in and looking at me and checking me out. I didn't know who they all were. Right. But what I understood was that they were my spirit helpers, people on my spirit team, like we don't always have to know who they all are. And they were just sort of oh like looking at me, okay, she's gonna be okay, all right, she's fine, oh, she's having a hard time. So I could actually feel I could see lights, I could see I could feel it. So I knew that they were responding to me or or with me. But then when I went to the rehab is when I really let go, Embraced you know, and it. At, yeah, yeah. At, yeah, absolutely. Because I think plus once I got there, it was that place of, okay, now I'm on my way to getting myself strong enough to get home, you right. know? So I was like, whoever, whatever can help me. And I was a little more conscious, you sure. know, of, sure. of, what a journey. Yeah. It was a journey.
0: I think what you just said was really powerful, almost as like an extended metaphor, Surrendering as the means to get home, yeah, not just in this physical example here, but yeah. I'm thinking th- this concept of surrender is fascinating to me. I think it's something I'm starting to understand, right. or tap into understanding, mm-hmm. and how necessary it is. And I don't even have all the words around it yet. I right. think I'm just starting to like feel it mm-hmm. and process it. Right. But with this experience, you know, how did this? understanding of surrender impact your life
3: now, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm many, many more years your senior. You know, um, <laughs> we've already discussed how many more years <laughs> okay, older I am okay. than okay. Rachel. Well, I'm even older yeah. than but, you. But we so. think
1: it's kind of fun that we're yeah. co-hosting a podcast together with a thirty-year gap. I, oh, think of great. I think it's I think
3: it's fantastic because it's not. It's kind of like when the mother says, "Don't touch the hot stove," but the kid has to. It's not like we can say, "Oh, well, here's how you can surrender easily now at your right. young age." Right. But you're exposing yourself to it. So what has happened since then? Um, so I'm an Aries, like Jen here, and I like to do things. And Aries has a lot of strength and leadership and all that. And I would be the one and the leader. And blah, blah, blah. Now I ask for help. Even little things. Can you help me lift this? Because there's still some chronic stuff in my body. It's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, can you help you know, I have to say no to that because I know my stamina has changed, you know, since then. Um uh oh, um I really don't think I want to do this by myself, but I'll co-host it with you, you know. So I've learned to ask for more help and receive it and not even think the thoughts I used to think, which would have been like, well, I can do this myself. I don't want to wait to do this. I can do it now, you know. I don't want to wait for that 50-pound, you know, like, I, I'll i just drag it. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I so, do. So it really, I really have noticed that it's like for an help. A, it's an awareness. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And, and
0: that's empowering to ask for help.
3: Completely okay. empowering. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'm hearing you. I, that. I don't think that before I thought that asking for help made me feel weak. It's just that asking for help now I understand makes me feel strong. Mm. And mm. you know and, and by the way, one of the people that I ask most for the help is my beautiful husband, Craig. And um it's amazing because I see him in a different way because I ask him for more support and help. Mm. When I present as a little bit more vulnerable, there's this different, like, energy. Yeah. And it's a really nice, um, because we're two strong people, you know, and uh, it's nice. Yeah. You're,
0: yeah, you're creating space. It's like creating an invitation. Exactly. For him to give.
3: Exactly.
0: Which feels, I'm sure, great to yeah. him. Like to be able to give you love in the way that you need it. You've got and it. And you've opened that space. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It,
3: is, it is. So I would not want to experience anything like this again, but because I did, there were some really beautiful things, you know, that came, yeah. you know, from it, really. Um. But also some great sadnesses because I don't ride anymore. Mm-hmm. And I did ride uh, for some years afterwards two up with him, so on the back of his bike, but not solo again. And I miss it because it was wonderful. It was an adventure. It was, oh, my God, it was a sense of freedom, you know, that I won't have again, you know, um with, with really anything else. I'm not a skier or anything like this, you know. Um, so there are some sadnesses about it, but it's okay. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Tell me a little bit more about just your involvement in this book. I mean, I, of course, you know, I, I invited you. You were, I, I don't think you hesitated to no, be a part of it. Right. Like a lot of people really had to work through that process of, right. am I ready? But what would you, you know, what was the experience like for you being a part of something like this? Um, and, like, what would you say to somebody else considering sure. this opportunity? Right. Because I think, you know, I think everyone is drawn to it, but not everyone is quite
3: sure what they will – right? How, what it will be like. I had the complete and total confidence uh, to do it because um, I like telling stories, and I use stories to – teach and to make, you know, people understand things in my spiritual work. So I didn't hesitate. What my hesitation was, was which story should I tell? Yes, that's right. Um, Because there are more than, you know, there were many that all of us, you know, could tell. So um, I, when I finally decided that I wanted to write about the accident, um, I felt uh, the energy of I'm going to share this story and honestly, for me. If anybody reads it and learns something or get, but you know, that wasn't why I did it. I was doing it for me and then putting it down on paper and then exposing it, you know, to the world, so to speak. And then I, when I finished writing it, I let my husband read it. He said, this isn't done yet. And I said, what, what? he goes, what about the part where you tell them what you learned from this experience? Ah. And I actually said to him, What do you think I learned? Mm. And he said, how strong you are. So then that whole part, you know, came to, to fruition. So for me, it was therapeutic to write the story because I got to put pen to paper and I had written some of it, you know, previously. Um, I got to process it in a different way, and I got to just say, here it is. Now, it's on this paper. It's in this book. This book holds the energy of it. I can let go of some of it. Right. And isn't it interesting? Because I think that's –
1: I mean, I am 100% – about that in terms of my own experience of right. telling your story, that release, that release of shame and yep. release of limiting beliefs and that liberating kind of feeling. But isn't it interesting that you also pulled out those cards and letters again yes. in anticipation of having this discussion yes. and that you were able to release yes. that? And I, I have a box like that, too, yep. Um, and it's still upstairs, yep. and now I'm like, hmm, yeah. I'm going to pull those out, and that might just... Help me to release
3: what's still Absolutely. lingering in my in my Yeah, in spirit, your, in your in energy, in your spirit, in your physicality, in your mentality. So uh, if somebody is thinking about, you know, being a part of the, the new project, you know, that you're... Uh, you the took, on, it's ongoing one. Yeah, mm-hmm. the ongoing project, you yeah. know. Um, I would ask them to, um, to step forward and commit to it. Don't hesitate In the hesitation, you lose some of the energy that you could be putting into the story Mm -hmm. that would be healing, you know, for the writer. And then, as a secondary gift, the writer is gifting the reader. Absolutely. And that energy put into a book... Uh, into the world, you know, um, it's, it's it's amazing. So we don't know who I have. Nobody has read this and, and sent me an email and said, oh, I read your story. It was so inspiring or whatever. That doesn't matter to me. Right. If somebody reads it and they have a good thought about it. And they
1: yeah. perhaps work on how they can surrender, yeah.
3: accept and allow. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah.
1: yeah. And I'm so grateful to have you. Well, I was grateful to be a, in, part, of be it. a part of
3: this yeah. and to be on our show today. I well, know. thank you yeah. for having Rachel me. Rachel and I, I were really fun. looking yeah. forward to it because yeah, we knew yeah, it yeah. would be
0: a lot of it's, fun. It's good. It's good. Yeah. It's all really good.
3: Yeah, well, absolutely. thanks for having me, ladies. You yes. Thank you so much. much.
0: Thank you.
1: <laughs> if you'd like to hear more of our stories, the first She Breathes Soul Stories collection is available on Amazon.
0: Do you have a story to tell? Give us a call at the We Breathe Wellness Center at 508-343-7211 or send us an email at jen at jengolbrand.com. Both that phone number and the email will be linked in the show notes below. We can't wait to hear from you.
1: Our final storyteller is Christine Scuban an integrative health and nutrition coach, whose story is titled, The Price of Perfect. Christine shares a glimpse into a relationship that she thought would be perfect, but ended up being anything but. In this story, she shares the courage that it took her to separate herself and rebuild her life.
4: Welcome, Christine. Hello there. Thank you for having me. So
1: good to be here with you today.
4: Yeah, very happy to be here. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Hi, Jen.
0: (laughs) Whenever you're ready. All
4: right. I always thought I would get married and start having kids right after college. It's all I knew I really wanted. Everything else, a career, where I lived, what I did for fun as an adult, etc was unclear when I thought about the future. But falling in love and spending the rest of my life with my perfect man, I thought about that constantly, and every boy I liked from seventh grade on was potential true love in my eyes. I met him when I was 27 at a friend's Super Bowl party. It was my first public appearance since my breakup with my live-in boyfriend. He was five years my junior, and I was terrified that I was too old to find that man I had dreamt of for so long. My self-esteem was awfully low, and I was a mess. He had a successful career and owned a house, came from a big family, was raised in the same city as I was, and wasn't just looking for a fling. At that point in my life, he was exactly what I was looking for, even if he was 13 years older than me and had been married before. So when he called and asked me out on a real date— like pick me up and take me to a nice restaurant for dinner, I was thrilled. My generation didn't do this real date thing at the beginning. We hung out here and there, usually in groups, and eventually relationships formed. Once you were officially in a relationship, then you went out as a couple. I was so entranced and felt so special that he chose me to take out. After that first date, things moved quickly. Before long, we were official, and a few months later, he asked me to move in with him, I was living alone and could barely afford my living expenses, and I was infatuated with this man, so I said yes. Over those first few months, he showered me with attention, took me places, and spent money on me. Money that neither I nor the guys I had dated had to spend. He was confident, outgoing, and got along with everyone. There was one incident at my apartment early on that concerned me, but I convinced myself to ignore it as a one-off incident. We were on the couch watching TV, and I said something sarcastic to him in a teasing way. My sense of humor is full of sarcasm and dry wit, so this was normal for me. He got angry and said he would leave if I kept talking to him like that. I immediately backpedaled and apologized profusely. I was so afraid of him leaving me, I would have done anything to keep him happy. This was the first time he was able to manipulate me into doing exactly what he wanted, begging him to stay and changing my behavior to appease him. This pattern would continue throughout our relationship and marriage, but on a much larger scale. I had no idea he was a narcissist. I discussed everything that was happening ad nauseum with my parents and friends, trying to figure out why he behaved that way. I tried everything I could think of to change me so he would like me better. I did everything he asked and everything in my power to not make mistakes, because he did not tolerate them. I lost weight when he told me I was fat and countless other things that I cannot even remember. None of it mattered. Nothing I did was ever good enough for him.
0: Oh, my gosh. That story really, really hits in my heart, I think. Like mm-hmm. that power, like we use that detail of you talk to your friends mm-hmm. and your parents at mm-hmm. nauseum to try and like figure it out. I just really resonate with that. Yeah. Like just always thinking like, what am I doing wrong? Exactly. Right? Like, mm-hmm. what am I not seeing? We were
4: constantly trying to psychoanalyze him yes. on some level so we could figure out how what I could do. How you should change your yes. behavior. Yes. Right.
1: Right. Which is.
4: Inappropriate. Like, which, well,
3: also say it's least. where,
1: it's where they, it's sort of where the manipulation comes Exactly. In.
4: Exactly. Yeah. He expected me to change my behavior. There was never a moment where he would change or even think about changing himself because in his eyes, mm. he was the epitome of ill men. He, right. Everyone wanted to, to be with him, which right. wasn't true, but that's the impression he gave and how he made me feel.
0: Mm. So what was the experience like going back and, you know, you're no longer in this relationship, Correct. of course, so yeah. going back and recounting this and what so was like?
4: I had known for a long time that I wanted to tell my story mm-hmm. once I got out, which was almost 10 years ago this year, actually. Um, so when Jen mentioned that this was happening, I knew immediately that I wanted to be a part of it because this was my chance to tell my story.
0: The anthology. The anthology, mm. yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, but when I actually started to sit down and say, OK, I need to write this, like how do I get this out of my head, I, I struggled. I wasn't sure where to even start. What I decided to do and it ended up working great was instead of writing or typing, I opened my notes app on my phone and I hit the um, the button so you can speak and it trans – I can't think of the that word, The record it, button. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I spoke I did it while I was driving one day. I just was on like an hour and a half road trip and I just spoke the entire thing and I just told the story as it was in my head. Mm. And that, it was very hard to do because it was bringing all these emotions up. But because I was speaking it, it was natural and it was flowing and it felt really good to get it out. Right. Like really good to get out of my body. Perhaps, yes, speaking, literally.
1: perhaps speaking some of this for the very first time. Exactly.
4: Right. Because as much as I have talked about, I talked about the relationship when I was in it. I talked about it after I left, you know, with my parents and my friends and my family. There were some things that even they didn't know when they read this book. Right. Uh, my chapter, excuse me. So, huh. so, yeah, there were some things I had never really told anyone before.
0: Were you afraid of... No, of telling people
3: things. Or? I wasn't
4: because enough time had passed. Yeah, um, had it been probably anywhere two to five years later, I would not have been ready to do what I did mm-hmm. with this. Um, I needed a lot of time to go by to to process and and get through that really hard time, hardest time of my life. Um, so so yeah, this it was not hard now. But had I tried to do it earlier, it probably would have been much harder.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
1: Christine, I know for a fact, because I watched it unfold at the book launch event, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you touched other people's hearts and souls in that audience with your reading. And um, so I, I know people have reached out to you yes. to because they resonated.
4: Yeah. And that's why I wanted to tell my story. Um, one of the biggest things that helped me when I was getting out of this relationship was a book that someone gifted me. I don't know what it's called. I don't have it anymore, but it was basically stories that of other people who have gotten out of abusive relationships that they wrote and shared. And I remembered how much that helped me to know I wasn't alone, even though obviously we know we're not alone, like, but to have those specific experiences that I could read about um, helps
0: your mind see it, I right, think. Right, exactly. With the, with the story, with mm-hmm. the details. Like, it helps the mind open up and, like, right. literally be able to see it. And, and the see it. to believe mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes less of, like, this ethereal concept. Exactly. And it's like, oh, like, this is this a person is with a name. Yes, <laughs> And, <that's laughs> like, exactly they have their it. coffee this way. And yeah. maybe I do, mm-hmm. too, or something like that.
4: So I knew in telling my story, my goal, I didn't know this, my goal was to help other people, women specifically, because they are the ones that most of the time find themselves in these situations um and after reading at the book launch I had two women approach me um and one of them had just gotten out of a narcissistic relationship and the other was in one and they both just kind of said does it ever get any better and I said no unless you cut completely and move on because even the one that had gotten out she was still in contact and I said you can't You can't.
1: You get sucked right back into that dynamic, Mm -hmm. right? Mm
4: -hmm. From what I understand, yeah. But that is why I told my story again. I wanted other women to know that it's okay. They're not a bad person for being in these relationships. It is not their fault. Um, And that it is very hard to leave, and eventually you, you can do it. right? It took me two years knowing I wanted to get out before I could actually do it. And I said... Unless you're able to cut contact, it's not going to get better. The one woman had already left the narcissistic person in her life, and she asked if it got better. And I said, are you still in contact? And she said, yes. And I said, you can't be. And that was something. It took me. Like, I left him, and it took me another six months to cut contact Mm
2: -hmm. because
4: that was very, very scary for me. I was so Co-dependent on that abusive relationship that i didn't know how to be without it yeah um and and looking back now that's so scary because still having that contact i could have very easily fallen right back into it but i didn't thank the thank goodness you know yeah and, but um but yeah the only way out was to cut ties um and even when i cut ties he continued to email me for another year and a half wow yeah. i ignored it but yeah mm-hmm.
1: wow mm-hmm. And it's it's just amazing um, and I think that just speaks to just this, everything we're talking about, the power of sharing yes. really tough, challenging mm-hmm. stories with one another. But it, it's so important, right? Because otherwise people are out there thinking that they are the only ones right. in that situation with mm-hmm. without any resources or any support, and that's right. just not the case. Right. Um, and I think part of this whole dynamic is that that um, manipulative kind of control yes. and that feeling of powerlessness mm-hmm. is that the word? Powerlessness yeah. Yeah. of the person who's the being sort of receiving end yeah. of it and that's just nobody wants to feel that way.
4: No and again even though intellectually you know you know you're not the only person experiencing this um, having it in writing printed out in front of you to read from like you were saying Rachel to someone that has experience that you can put a name to it you can say this is specifically what happened to them it just unlocks something inside of you and even if it just gives you that tiny grain of sand more strength to do what you need to do yeah it's worth it
0: yeah i really think yeah to that to that exact point just to come back on that Mm -hmm. i really think about the subconscious mind and how it works and how it's constantly looking for the concept of like expanding right and and needing to see to believe and and the concept of belief becomes easier when it's like, "Oh, if they can do it, I can do it." And that's why, and again, coming back to the same point, but with the details in a story. It makes you so, so real, like even if I don't know you. Mm-hmm. And so even, and then even seeing your photo, right, yes. in the book and say like, you know, oh, she looks like me. We're maybe around the same age. Like that's profoundly it powerful so to help so much so. to see oneself, you know, yeah. in the story. So, um, yeah. It's amazing. Um, I had a
1: question. Yeah. How, looking back on just being involved in this project and mm-hmm. sort of, because it, you know, we many of us came together and yeah. from different perspectives, and some of us didn't even know each other very well. Right. But what sort of sense of empowerment has evolved for you uh, from as a result of kind of making this decision and 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 putting this out into the world?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a few things have happened. Um, again five years ago i would not have thought i could do this so so getting getting it out of me that's huge for me and that gave me a huge boost because i just didn't i wasn't holding on to it anymore and i just felt like i have i had risen above it even that little bit more than i had previously to telling my story right so that was great um in addition to that I spoke in public um, and read some of my story at the book launch. And and you were on TV. I was on TV. <laughs> and dear listeners, I will tell you that me speaking in public in front of real people is terrifying. And I did it without being terrified and felt really good afterward. And that is a huge thing for me. I felt I feel as though without the story to tell, I would not have been able to do that. It needed to be my story that mm. enabled me to get up in front of people um and talk about it. Um, so those are the things that you know it's it's just making me more confident in general bringing me out of my shell a little bit um, and the shell I refer to is the shell that I I hide behind when I am in front of a large group of people. I'm not like that in smaller groups and when I know you well. But in large groups, I get very anxious. So
0: yeah.
4: it's really... Um, I
0: don't think you're alone. I think a yeah. lot of people struggle with yeah. that. fear, that fear of judgment. Yeah. And like, what is everybody yeah. thinking, thinking me. about? Yeah, yeah, it's huge. It's, and it's huge. And,
4: and the other thing is, you know, I was one of the people that didn't know a lot of the women writing their stories because I was new to the area. And being a part of this... It really enabled me to meet new people and get to know these women better. Um, and that was just lovely because I've now built a community. I was going to say the community yeah. that forms from mm-hmm. being involved
1: in something mm-hmm. like this is just it's amazing. like nothing else. Mm-hmm. And and so so beautiful. And, and we're just looking forward to expanding that community together yeah. with more and more women. Because you know what? We just – we said earlier, we just sort of scratched the surface. There are so many more stories waiting to be told. So many more women mm-hmm. who have – um, you know, experiences that we all need to learn from, right? And share, right? So, yeah, uh, it's exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This might be kind of like off to the side, but you're you yeah, have sure. a daughter, right? I you're, do. I have yeah, an eight year old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious about you know this experience of writing and then telling your story mm-hmm. and everything you learned and gained from it. Did it? I don't know, like shift anything about how you engage with your daughter, or like um, make you um. I don't know. I don't know. Think think me think. I hadn't new, thought of that before, or, but let me think about it. Or maybe um, something that you learned that you yeah. want to tell her from this experience yeah. or something. As a young woman, right? right. Like women, we're talking about empowering Absolutely. women and telling our stories. Mm-hmm. And and you're raising a beautiful young yes. woman.
4: Yes, thank you. She is. She yeah, is we really best. like her. <laughs> She's so, an honorary member of our tribe. She is. And she <laughs> loves it. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say anything jumped out at me for her Right now, because she's just a little too young, like she doesn't at this point even know that I was married before, right? It's yep. just not. She's just too young. But I, I will say that as she gets older, um, had I not gone through the relationship, had I not gone through the writing and the, the reading, I probably would not have been as sure of myself in talking to her about relationships and about how to behave and present oneself and the confidence, you know, that you should have in a relationship. And I think because I've had all these experiences now, I am much better equipped to educate and teach her how to better—trying to think of the words—love herself. To, yes, thank you. To love herself more and know that she is worth so much more than most people will say that she is.
2: Because
4: mm. that's what I never understood. I didn't think I was worth anything better than this man. It's right? this concept,
1: you know, that we of, of self-love that we we need to be reminding not only ourselves, but as we parent, right, is, mm-hmm. is if you have to, you have to be able to love yourself before you can expect anyone else to love you the way you deserve to be loved. Mm-hmm. It's like the way you love yourself is how you show other people mm-hmm. how to love you. Mm-hmm. So this is something I know as a parent, I was so conscious of of a, a daughter is, you know, that self confidence, self awareness, self compassion, we've been talking yes. so much about compassion. That's, like, so critical. And I think we – I don't know. I think – It's a hard thing to teach. It's so hard to teach. Because I'm already
4: seeing with her snippets of the insecurities coming through. And sometimes I'm just, like, standing there with my mouth open, like, I don't know what to say to her right now, Mm. you know? Yes. That's real, too, though. It's very real. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think – and this is why it's – I think this is so important as we continue to evolve. And I'm not a parent, but even just as a classroom teacher, you know, like – As we continue to work on ourselves and, like, genuinely embody this self-loving, putting yourself genuinely first, putting your oxygen mask on first meant behavior. Children learn more from watching what we do, right? We know that than anything else. And so I've started to think about it as, and again, as a teacher, you know, I'm not yet a parent. Mm -hmm. But, like, okay, the more I care for myself and model that, the more I'm teaching these Absolutely. young people how to do that too. Yes. And that's been a frame of reference that's been actually helping me feel not selfish, like totally helping me reframe. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and like in a way.
1: It's it's so true. I mean, we're just designed I mean, honestly, as women, we are designed energetically to to kind of honor that that feminine energy side of us to nurture and to protect and to care for other Everyone people, <laughs> but we forget to start internally and
0: and, and to care for other and people.
1: It, you need to, yeah. yeah. You can't, because otherwise you you burn out and you get depleted, and then you mm-hmm. get resentful and all the things, right? So, yeah, this is a really important
4: yeah.
1: subject matter, and I think it's very much at the core of everything we're doing yeah. here, in terms of bringing women together to connect, to share, and to see themselves. As beautiful, perfect beings who are just going through these experiences, and you know, we just have to be more gentle and accepting of ourselves and give mm-hmm. each other, give ourselves grace, just like we yeah. give other people mm-hmm. and other we know the other people around us. So, yeah, it's a it's a Go it's on. not an easy thing to do because it doesn't be, it doesn't come naturally for us. But it's
2: yeah. super
1: important for us to be top of mind.
4: One Think thing about. I was uh, thinking about on my way over here actually was about stories and storytelling and how thousands of years ago yeah. that was how our societies passed things down and we've moved so far away from that in our current society that i think that's why starting this movement with the soul stories and this co- these collaborations is so important because i think we need to get back to those story wow. shares um on a grander scale um with everything being technology and you know just instantaneous these days and when you're in school you're you're studying history but it's it's not the stories of the people right it's the facts that they want you to know and i think we're losing a lot as humanity by not sharing those stories so yeah. i just love that we're doing what we're doing here with this podcast and with this 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 book and the, and the program the, the that program? you ladies are are doing um i just think it it's going to go so far
1: yeah you know getting back to really seeing one another and right. listening and learning and from experience understanding
4: mm-hmm.
0: being, yeah. human. Being, being human being so human to I tell know. stories yeah, i, I think that's why it's so i think that's why it's so cathartic yeah, yes. <laughs> so peaceful um, and it's also like i think what you with what you said either saying it mm-hmm. or writing it there's a physicality mm-hmm. that comes with that that like you know i feel like is so freeing yeah, and it is. Um, like you are well, putting it somewhere. It's I also know. that whole somatic thing,
1: you know? right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, that like mind, body, spirit thing that we've talked so much about is it. it there isn't when you write it and you speak it, and it's not just in your head. You are you are kind of con- reconnecting, you know, the experience in that resides in your body, and your and your energetic body, and your physical body, and your spirit, because that is, you know, where everything is recorded. Our brains are only one piece of it. So it's, I think, that connection of being able to write and to speak and to share and to get responses from other people and to feel that energy. It moves the energy. It moves the energy. Yeah. Yeah. And And it it, helps you to release the stored, stuck trauma. And heal. Yeah. From that. It's really, Mm -hmm. it's just so magical and cool.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So cool. It
0: is. Wow. Right.
1: I mean, Christine, uh, this has been a, just an honor, a true honor to to have you on the show today to to learn about more about you and your story, and most importantly, your triumph and how you've moved yourself um, forward. And so, we just have very much gratitude to you for you. for being willing to to share these personal parts of yourself.
4: It's yeah. my pleasure to be here. I'm I'm honored to be here, and um, thank you both for taking the time. This is wonderful. Aww. I love sharing about about this. It's something that's. As we said, is very close to my heart, and I really feel it's important to, to talk about it.
1: And I'm pretty certain we'll have listeners who are grateful that you were brave enough to
0: share.
4: I hope so. Yeah.
0: Good. Thank you. The stories in the She Breathes Soul Stories from Triumph to Transformation Anthology are real, raw, and powerful. If you'd like to hear more and hear the complete versions of the excerpts sampled in this episode— Head over to Amazon where you can order your copy today. And do you have a
1: story to tell? Give us a call at the We Breathe Wellness Center at 508-343-7211 or send us an email at jen at That's J-E-N-N at J-E-N-N-G-U-L-B-R-A-N-D dot We can't wait to hear from you.